This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Well, welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Great to have you here for another show. So thank you, thank you for joining me. I really do appreciate it. On today's show, talking to Rodney Morris. He's a contract shooter, YouTuber, and hunter. And I thought it'd be fantastic to get him uh, on the show to have a chat about a multitude of different things. You can check him out on Facebook at Rodney Morris Thermal Hunting Australia. Uh, he's got a good sense of humour. He likes, certainly likes to have a laugh, which is uh, in suit with my personality because I always like to have a laugh too. Uh, they talk about scopes, you know, scanners, uh, lots of different, especially video uh, on thermal hunting, which is absolutely fantastic. And also to the question we've been getting a lot on the show many times over probably the last three to four years is how to become a contract shooter. So Rod's going to answer your questions today on how to become a contract shooter and if it's even viable to you know, become a contract shooter. Are you going to be able to feed your family on that money? How are you going to get contracts? How's it going to work? Uh, insurance, all these types of things. There's a lot of stuff uh, that needs to be discussed before even, I guess, think about starting a contract shooting business, the ins and outs, whether it's worthwhile. Are you going to be able to make it work uh, for many reasons, for contracts, financially? Uh, there's a lot that goes into it. So we're going to talk to him about that. As Like I said, he's got a funny guy. He's got a sense of humor. So we're going to have a great chat. He's also got a little YouTube channel as well, which is building on the up and up. So you can check out that as well at RJM Hunting Australia. So RJM Hunting Australia. He's got some pretty good content on there as well. He's a bit of a good character, uh, which uh, is absolutely fantastic. I want to thank everyone that supports the show. Of course, you can listen to us on Spotify, CastBox, Stitcher, Podbean, which is our... Uh, our uh, provider who we host the show with uh, pretty much anywhere the website uh, iTunes and if you're on iTunes as well and you do have Apple iTunes if you could leave us a review hopefully it's a five-star review and a comment I'd really really appreciate that as well and of course if you do like the show and you do want to help out financially throw a few bucks my way you can go to patreon.com forward slash ahp uh, and I want to thank all the people, all the Patreon supporters that do support me. Thank you very much. You guys know who you are. Absolutely valued to the podcast and provide me with the, you know, I guess the financial funding to be able to continue doing this podcast. And I really want to thank them for that. We've got a lot of questions coming up again for a Q&A. Um, there's a lot coming in. Again, if you want to go to the website, australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. You can actually wait until it loads. And on the right-hand side scroll bar there, you'll actually see leave a voicemail. And uh, you can, I'll play them on the show. I, ta- I normally take them off. I think you can do 90 seconds, then I'll take them off. I edit them a little bit, then I'll actually play your questions on the show. And we do love the, uh, I guess, the electronic interaction of people leaving voicemails. So if you do want to do that, instead of just sending in an email, we'd really appreciate that. That way we'll be able to actually play them on the show for you guys because you're spending time to send them in so i'm happy to put them uh on the show so we've got some fantastic podcasts coming up for the future especially one today being rodney morris talking about thermals contract shooting which a lot of people want to know about and uh just general hunting and having a great chat having a laugh because as we all know that's what hunting is all about so without further ado let's get into my interview with contract shooter hunter and youtuber rodney morris 
Rodney, welcome to the show, mate. Thanks for joining me. Really appreciate you having here. We're going to talk about a lot of different things today, and uh, so it's going to be a fun time. Thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Oh, thanks, Jason. You're more than welcome. No worries, mate. Tell us about yourself. Who is Rodney Morris? I've watched a couple of videos on not only YouTube, but also the thermal hunting page. You like to have a bit of a laugh. I did see one uh, about you uh, playing a bit of trick on your wife and kids in a shopping centre car park, so you certainly like to get amongst it and have a bit of a laugh. So tell us about yourself. Oh, mate, got to keep things light. Um, so basically I'm a professional shooter now, um, got into shooting when I was a kid and, uh, yeah, got serious about it probably about 20 years ago when the parents bought a property, um, had some pet, uh, goats for the kids, went out one morning and could find the little, little fellas with no heads from a, a fox that had got in. So that's pretty much where my, my shooting really took off, um. I decided that foxes were obviously a hot, rotten pest and uh, that I wanted to do something about it. So that's sort of where it all began and just sort of transitioned from there, mate. So what did your parents do? You said they bought a property. Was it, what, farming or just rural lifestyle block? What they sort of, what, were they, what was their reason for uh, buying up some land? They just wanted to move out of the city, um, started to get a bit overcrowded and uh, Dad wanted the, the sea change sort of thing, so they bought... Uh, 25 acres out at Western Sydney, and um, yeah, we packed up and moved out here, started doing a bit of work on the property, more of a, not really a farm, just a, you know, get away from it all type thing, so we've tried a few different things on the farm, from growing a couple of crops and running some stock, and but more than anything, it's just a lifestyle. What did your family say when uh, you wanted to start to, we'll talk about your, your parents first, say so you got a property, you said I want to get into this hunting business. How old were you then when you said you wanted to get into hunting and what they say, were they were they uh, uh, receptive to it or they like not really going, oh, why do you want a gun? Or <laughs> Oh, no, to be honest with you, my dad had a twenty two when he was a kid. Back then that was that was all the rage. I think he got it from Walters. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, I'm <laughs> off the shelf back then. He gave it up in the amnesty uh, to a mate of mine who – had his firearm license and all that sort of stuff. And when they bought the property here and we started to have a few problems, I decided to, um, yeah, apply for my firearms license and get that 22 back. And that's what I started with. Um, so mum and dad obviously were devastated that the kids' pets had been attacked and killed by a fox. So it sort of becomes a, I don't know if you want to call it a necessary evil, but it's, it's just another tool when you live on property. And that's, that's sort of where I started. Um, I wouldn't say I really got into hunting. I really got into shooting foxes around here. And, yeah, found it quite rewarding to get rid of the ferals. So I then started to put the feelers out locally and, and get on some larger properties, and and it sort of developed from there. What about the, uh, you know, I saw the thing, I presume you, you married, I saw your wife and a couple of kids. She didn't look too fussed, man, when she was in the car park and you were parking <laughs> away from her, mate. She didn't look too pressed when she got in the car, I assure you. I thought, mate, you'd probably be in the doghouse that night. But uh, what did you what, what did you say to the missus? I presume you were with your missus at the time when you got your, your licence and you wanted to get into hunting. What did she say? I mean, it's always a different mixed reaction from our, our female partners. when No, they... to be honest, it's, it's not her thing. Um, she's more of a city girl. But um, she completely supports what I do, and she's probably the one that pushed me into the, the professional side of things, mainly because of the expenditure, um, <laughs> out many nights a week, and then you know delving into the realms of thermal and you know high quality rifles and and more gear and more kit and cost of ammunition now, as we all know, has gone up through the roof. So it just be, 
got to the stage where instead of me ringing local property owners, they were ringing me and um, saying, look, you know, we've got fox problems again or we've got this or we've got that. And, yeah, the more you do it, the the better you become at it. And, yeah, I suppose I just it just got to the stage where it was, became quite demanding and was starting to cost a lot of money. So the business said, like, you either got to throw the towel in or try and make some money back. So hence I went down the, the path of contract shooting and opening up a business and getting my professional license and uh, suppressors and so forth. And, yeah, now it's it's pretty much three or four nights a week. I still have a full-time job. I'm a professional firefighter, work for Fire Rescue New South Wales. And fortunately, just two 24-hour shifts a week um, frees me up with plenty of time to be able to get out and do what I really like, which is uh, shooting, hunting, whatever you want to call it, feral animal control. Mm. Definitely sounds like fun. It's always the bad when the the wife comes in and says, mate, you're spending too much money. You better go start <laughs> making some money uh, with this hunting or contract shooting business. <laughs> Otherwise, no more thermals and no more good stuff for you. Uh, you're not wrong. Mate, what uh, about the... I was going to say, what about the kids too, mate? What you got? I think I saw. I think I saw a daughter in one of the videos. I'm not sure if you got a son or two daughters or one daughter or. No, they... I got I got three kids. So I've got one that's 26. Um, he's uh, done quite a bit of shooting with me, uh, mainly in his late teens. We'd go out to you know properties and through inland hunting, and uh, we'd pay pay to get onto the pigs and stuff like that. So we had a great time doing that. But once he sort of left home and left home and started working. He sort of got his own life now. So he's a bit caught up with all of that. Um, my 17-year-old's not really into it at all, um, but my 13-year-old daughter loves it. So yeah, nice, good. She's, um, she's a bloody good gate opener and um, absolutely loves coming out and spending the night with Dad. Bloody hell. You might have to tell the daughter she's putting the uh, son to shame. <laughs> oh, definitely, 100%. No, I can't get the... Can't get the boys out, but the daughter's definitely got the right genes, so she'll yeah. be the one that's going to be my hunting buddy, I would say. Yeah, that's good, man. Always good to hear that sort of thing. Any, let's talk about guns. What What are you? You said you like the, you know, some expense. You've got yourself into some guns, and you know, probably different different ranges of expense. So, what do you What do you own? What do you like to shoot? I mean, have you got any specific sort of yeah you know, brands you like, or anything like from scopes to thermals to rifles to shotguns? Yeah, let us. Yeah, what What do you uh, like, mate? To, to be honest with you, um, you know, my probably my favourite or most dearest rifle is the one that I got from my dad. Um, God love him. He's, um, you know, it's you know, a really old Winchester, um, beautiful little rifle. I had it restored. Um, it's probably my favourite. It doesn't get shot that much. But um, I don't use it for any of my contract work. It's sort of a bit of an heirloom. But um, I decided that originally that I just wanted to buy one really good quality rifle and a good quality scope. So I went down the lines of Seiko. Um, I just bought a Seiko 85 in 223. And that's pretty much my workhorse now. She's had probably close to 11,000 rounds through it. Wow. Still the same barrel and still probably shoots better than me. Wow, really? Yeah, 11,000 rounds out of a two, two, three. Nice. Mm. I mean, not not a barrel burner, but you'd think over maybe five or 6,000, it might be starting to be honest to with you, I, I was thinking the same thing. And, you know, I suppose there's no rhyme or reason with regards to, you know, what the life is of a barrel. I don't clean it that often. She likes to be shot dirty. Yeah. And, um, mate, she's, you know, you put a, a high-end um, day scope on it and a really good rest. Um, it's got a lovely trigger in it. The action's still nice and smooth, and, and it still shoots um, cloverleaf at 100 metres with factory ammo. So 
as long as it keeps doing that, I won't have to worry about rebarreling. No. What'd you put on top of it? What'd you put on for uh, scope? Uh, originally, I ran a, a Soiree Z5. Um, I think it was a 5 to 25 by 56. And yep. uh, with a tactical turret. And I used to just run night vision. I just used to run a night side eagle on the end of that. Um, probably a little bit too much base mag for it, but um, that's sort of where I started with regards to the night shooting. Prior to that, it was it was the old spotlight or red torch. But then transitioned into thermal and haven't really looked back. That's sort of my go-to now. So what do you shoot? The, you got your 2 to 3 Is that the only guns you own? I mean, what, do, what game do you no, shoot with? No, I run a, um, I've got a 17 HMR, 22, um, and a 308. So pretty much a 308 and a 223 of my, my work rifles. So I shoot both supersonic and subsonic in both of those rifles. In the 308, what'd you get? What sort of rifle's that one? Um, I bought a classic Deluxe, a Remington 700, off a mate of mine and just done a bit of work to it. Uh, so I put a, a Timney trigger in it, a Deluxe model trigger, and um, I was running an aftermarket um, TSPX chassis. Uh, I'm in the process of getting over shoulder surgery, so the chassis a bit heavy, especially when you've got the thermal on top and the, the moderator on the front. So... I'm only just purchased today, and the wife's about 10 metres away and probably going to roll her eyes when she hears it. I just bought a, <laughs> a new MDT HNT26 chassis, super lightweight chassis. It only landed in the country today, so I've been waiting on that to come in. I think they come out at about 26 ounces. Yeah. all carbon fibre, so that's what will go on the 308 as soon as I get it. Yeah, mate, I think you're going to be in trouble tonight, mate. You might find yourself in the doghouse tonight. Well, probably lucky I'm going out for a contract shoot. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What, what, what game do you shoot the 223 with? What's your general like uh, quarry when you go out with the 223? Um, pretty much everything. Um, so I, I mainly keep the 308 for the deer work. Um, but, you know, the local ants and all that, they shoot all their deer with 223 as a, as a head shooting expose. And um, it's quite capable for, for doing that. But as we all know, recommended calibre for, for deer work in New South Wales is 243. So, and as a pet smart, it's a 30 cal projectile with a 51 mil case length. So I run the 308 for the, the deer work. But, mate, shot placement's everything, um, especially when you're shooting. You get used to that when you're shooting on smaller properties. Um, the last thing you need is to, even if it's a fox, you don't need to hit a fox and have it run 50 metres and, get across the boundary into the neighbour's place, then you've either got to trespass and jump the fence or explain to the neighbour why there's a dead animal on their land. So I try to, to head shoot so it's an instant drop and um, it's just sort of a, a practice that you get used to doing. It's interesting with the 223, isn't it? A lot of people, you know, sometimes think quite capable round and people are surprised actually what 223 can take. I mean, obviously we're not saying, you know, as a matter of course to go out and shoot deer with a 223 for so forth. But, you know, as you said, you know, head shooting deer, those types of things. I mean, it's, it's capable. People, I think people probably underestimate the 223 to be brutally honest. It's, it's definitely an underrated calibre. Um, I I had a 204 just before it and, um, and it was spent like as a fox rifle. I don't think I've ever had anything. You know, that's better flat out to 300 and, you know, just a dream to shoot. A little bit barky, but um, I got onto a big mob of goats one night um, with night vision over over the edge of a cliff and it was just absolute mayhem trying to head shoot the goats. They just, you know, the speed of that little projectile, it was too much explosion, not enough penetration. So 
it was then and there that I knew I had to go to something heavier um, and something a bit more versatile. And I think the two to three, I just run the 55 grain Buffalo River. I think they run uh, the Sierra Blitz Kings in them. Yeah. And, you know, so that's that's pretty much my go-to for almost everything, all my, all my goat work and um, pigs. Um, shot a 117-kilo pig with it probably 12 months ago. And, mate, it's it's got a heap of stopping power. It's just a matter of putting it in the right spot. Yeah. Would no, no reloading or anything, or you just buy factory? I don't ammo? reload for the, um, the 223. Um, I don't reload for, for either 308 or 223 in supersonic. I reload for both in subsonic. It's just the cost of pills and that these days. Um, and you compare that, well, maybe 12 months ago, the price of ammo. It, it just wasn't worth it, not when you're going through that, that many rounds. So you, you probably find yourself uh, reloading all the time, wouldn't you? <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. It's, it's hectic enough trying to find the time to, to get in there and sit down and set some time aside to, to do the subsonic reload, So, which um, is something I use quite often as well. So I'm guessing with all the work, the contract shooting, there's no time for any other sport shooting or anything? You don't do any of that sort of stuff? Like, I don't Unfortunately know. not. I try and get out at least once a fortnight and go for a, a rec shoot just with the boys. Um, something that's a lot more laid back and obviously no pressure and you can muck around with you know, trying to call pigs or call in deer or foxes or whatever it might be. But um, I do love a, a good night out on the, the bunnies and the foxes with the boys just for fun, but um, no, no real sporting shooting. Um, I don't do any sort of clay pigeon or range work or anything like that, as much as it'd be nice, I suppose, if you overdo it, I'd hate for it to ever become a bit of a chore. Yeah, I know. A lot of people say that, eh? Like, if you get into contract shooting, oh, it just becomes a job. I mean, it still wouldn't be a bad job shooting animals. I mean, for, you know, for, for money, it's not bad. <laughs> Initially, um, like one of my favourite properties that I go to every year, I go down um, about 50 k's west of Yass in southwestern New South Wales, and um, they have 12,000 acres there, which is pretty much all cropped. They lamb about $2 million worth of lambs a year. Uh, they heavily bait. It's the most immaculate property I've ever been to. Um, the boys do an incredible job. But um, they shoot all year round. They fumigate. They they bait. But it's just those pesky foxes, the the troublesome ones that they have problems getting. So they get me down with the thermal gear, and um, I spend three or four nights down there. And you know, I might I might do fifty k's on property a night, and only get half a dozen foxes. And I'm depressed by the morning. See the sun come up. So you know, half a dozen foxes. That's crap. I can get twice that at home. You know, in a couple of hours. But um, they're very, very appreciative because they're the ones that they haven't been able to get. But going down and spending the time down there, um, mate, just sitting up on the hills and, and looking at the property, they had a, a big canola crop in just recently. And um, I sent the drone up and got some footage. And that's that's sort of where I get my rewards, just being able to absorb it or pulling the trigger is just such a, a minuscule part of, of what I do and what I enjoy. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun, eh, going out there. Wait, what, if you had to pick your number one animal, what do you like to shoot? What's your what's your favourite, man? Pigs, 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 pigs. Mm. Um, there's just no question. I don't, I don't get to shoot them very often. Um, I don't have access to, to any pig prop- properties. And um, when I get the occasional invite, um, mate, I revel in it. 
I, I don't know what it is about shooting pigs, whether it's the old Aussie bloody ochre tradition of, yeah, let's go pig hunting. <laughs> but um, no, I, I see the damage they do and uh, the numbers that they're in in certain areas. And yeah, there's nothing better than chasing pigs, whether it be daytime or nighttime. It becomes a, like a video game every night with a the thermal. But um, chasing them during the day and with the shotties and shooting them off the shoulder is just, um, yeah, it's next level. That's where I get my biggest buzz. I know, you'd be surprised. A lot of people say that. Every time I speak to people, I talk to them about, you know, what do they like to hunt? You'd be surprised how many people actually say pigs, even people that I just generally talk to, maybe not interviews and so forth. They're just, yeah, if they had to pick one, or that they just say they just love shooting pigs. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what the allure is. I mean, I'd love to shoot pigs too, actually. I suppose that's the only animal that I haven't been able to shoot yet. Like you, don't have anywhere to go to be able to do it. So that's a shout-out for me and you, Rod, if anyone's listening. <laughs> take yeah, us- bloody ass, give us a call. <laughs> give us a call. Go <laughs> and do a podcast on your property. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Anyway, we're going to go to a quick break. Before we do that, guys, don't forget with Camo Warehouse, AHP10 for 10% off. So we're in a quick break. We'll be right back. Camo Warehouse is Australia's leading supplier of quality hunting clothing and accessories. We stock leading outdoor clothing brands such as Rocky Boots, Georgia Boots, Hunter's Element, Ridgeline, Spiker, 511, Stony Creek and many more. Camo Warehouse is the leading supplier of optics and shooting accessories including Leopold, Bushnell, Zerotech, Lyman, Powerbeam and Lightforce. We can also order in custom Boyd stocks from the US to your specific requirements. Camo Warehouse offers flexible, zero-interest payment options including Afterpay and ZipPay. Order via our website at camowarehouse.com.au or give us a call on 02 6771 2836. Rod, tell us about the YouTube channel. You know, you've been started uploading um, and making some pretty good videos. I flicked through a few today. Um, Thanks, mate. Yeah, tell people about that. Where can they go to have a look at it? And, uh, yeah, tell them what they can expect to find on there. Okay, so my YouTube channel is RJM Hunting Australia. Um, recently started that up mainly because I'm a bit over the old Facebook. Um, it's it's a different platform. Uh, you definitely have to uh, appease your audience, and a big learning curve for me. Uh, learning all the editing and trying to produce a video that's um, going to be engaging, but. Um, it's it's going to be a, a long slow road. I've got a bit of a uh, bit of a step up from Facebook, so I can post some some links to the videos on Facebook through my page and through my group. But um, I think YouTube's where it's going to be for me. Uh, there's a lot of time and money, like copious amounts of time, but um, and money and that involved in in getting all the footage. And it would just be nice to hopefully get the YouTube to, you know, sort of a a place where I can maybe get a little bit back. Um, six, seven years of countless hours on, on Facebook has been um, quite rewarding with the people I've met and um, the information I've been able to, to give people and helping people out. Um, but it doesn't pay the bills. So not that I expect you to become a world-famous YouTuber, but it'd be nice to get a few bucks back each month just to throw back in the kitty and spend on either camera gear or microphones or whatever it might be. Yeah, you're definitely delving down a whole new rabbit hole now with that sort of thing as well. Just ask Nathan from Edge of the Outback, he'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, well, he's, he's my problem. He's the one that bloody told me to get stuck into the YouTube and 
stop worrying about the Facebook. So It's true, though. Hey, tell us about that, too. A lot of people, you know, we've all suffered this, but why, why is the YouTube – sorry, the YouTube, sorry, the Facebook why, – why is the Facebook – like, why is it sort so of seen at its purpose? I mean, is, it, is there something uh, changed, you think, in Facebook? Is it- so there definitely has. I started – so I originally started Facebook, actually got my kids to show me how to use it because I didn't have a clue. Um, I think I had three <laughs> friends and they all lived in my house. Um, so, yeah, they sort of showed me how to upload and that to to Facebook. And I suppose the method behind or the reason behind me starting that up was when I first got into thermal. Um, I've used thermal imaging cameras in the fire brigade for search and rescue and um, spot fires and looking for hot spots in houses after you've put fires out and and looking for, for people that may be in that house. So I was already familiar with the technology when I found out that it was available in a, a hunting application. Um, I decided that I you know, was very interested, but you're looking at $8,000 and you couldn't see one in real life. I didn't know anyone that had one. So I pretty much spent 12 months on YouTube doing my research. Uh, Terra finally went and parted with the money. It turned up and... I spent 12 months learning how to use it, the benefits of it, um, sitting up on a hill and just watching animals and just realized how much of a game changer it was. And I just believed that it was going to be something that was going to take off eventually in Australia, um, as, it, as it has done and has done worldwide, but wanted to get information out there. So I started buying aftermarket little DVRs and trying to do video and trying to make a a good little story each time I put something up and, you know, started the page and a group and the group was basically there for, for like-minded people to be able to come on and ask questions and not have to go through the same process that I went through or the agony of trying to buy the right one and whether it was, you know, worthwhile for what I was doing. Yeah, no, nah, that's, uh, I mean, it's all, we'll talk about that probably a little bit later because there's a lot to probably unpack there. Um, but yeah, we'll talk about it a little bit later. But I mean, YouTube. I mean, you know, what what, what are people expect when they go on there? What are they going to sort of expect to see? Some you know, thermal stuff, some like hunting. Well, what pretty are- much, I want to I want to do a bit more daytime work now. Um, I've been doing a little bit of goat stuff. I've purchased a drone. I found that to be a, a really handy asset, especially um, with the the growth of all the foliage on properties at the moment. Thermal is great for sitting up on hills and looking down, but. Um, getting that aerial, aerial review or view and um, doing a recce on the property and looking for mobs of goats or whatever it might be, looking for sign, game pads. Um, you know, it's great. So I try and incorporate all of that into the YouTube um, and, and more of a story. So especially with lockdown, I think YouTube's sort of taken off a bit more and um, people just, you know, they're sitting at home and they want to be able to feel like they're out in the field doing it with you. So trying to keep relatable and um, you know I'm, I'm open for suggestions but you can generally gauge how well things are going by the amount of views you get and the comments so as long as it, it keeps positive I'll, I'll keep doing it and we'll sort of go from there unfortunately Facebook was on, on the flip side I'd put videos up when I first started it and you might get 40 50,000 views in a, in a week or two then the algorithm changed and you know, you'd be lucky to get two, 3,000 views. And um, every man and his dog was just putting up snippets of thermal footage now that it was readily available. So trying to 
disassociate from that and and sort of think outside the box. And yeah. having a couple of trips away with Nathan Stewart from Edge of the Outback, um, yeah, um, watching how he went about it. We we have very, very, very similar principles when it comes to shooting and our likes and the type of gear we use. So, you know, we get on like a house on fire, but just seeing him take a couple of minutes out every now and then just to do a, you know, a quick rant in front of the camera. Um, yeah, yeah. It's the editing side of things, which is the the complicated part for me, trying to splice all of that footage together and put it in the right sequence. It's um, For a 53-year-old, it's a hell of a steep <laughs> learning curve. It is, yeah. No, I know what you mean. It's always funny. Yeah, people say, and I speak to Nathan about this sometimes as well, and, you know, one minute, you know, oh, too much talking, people say, oh, not enough shooting. Then, oh, too much shooting, not enough talking. Oh, not enough story. <laughs> you can't make everyone yeah, happy, it's mate. like, dude, if you just enjoy it, I mean, you know, I've never I've never met so many people sometimes to whinge about being provided free content. I mean, yeah, you know, it's free. Enjoy it. If you don't enjoy it, I'm sure there's plenty of other YouTubers or YouTube channels or well, other that's, video that's platforms. Exactly right. You know, to and, use. Um, you know, and 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 people people make different videos. You know, they they might produce five videos that um, you know really are in your alley or in your laneway, you know, and then a couple of videos that you're not that keen on, but, you know, that content is there and it's it's for your discretion. It's, it's up to the individual if they want to subscribe and want to watch it. And I just find that if you're producing good content that's engaging and real, you know, none of this fake mock-up bullcrap, um, you know, people seem, seem to like it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's true. Hey, what are some of the challenges, you reckon? I mean, obviously, editing being one of them with the YouTube channel, what are some of the challenges, do you think? Oh, mate, for me at the moment, um, I originally, like, getting monetized is, is obviously a key element to, to doing YouTube stuff. Um, you know, I originally did it because I just thought it was a better platform. It's easier to upload. Um, I think the guidelines are quite good, and, you know, you're going to get views on your video. If, if, if people want to watch it, it's not going to fall to some ridiculous algorithm. The hunting side of thing is a little bit wishy-washy with YouTube. Um, you know, they can monetize or demonetize whatever they want, which is that's just the rules you've got to abide by. But um, initially, you've got to have a thousand subscribers, and you've got to tick a couple of other boxes. But um, just recently, um, I um, I hit the thousand subscribers and got all excited, only to find out that you need four thousand watch hours. So um, I think I'm up to 15 or 1,600 subscribers now, which is fantastic. I'm very appreciative, but the watch hours are sort of what's holding me back. I've, I've about 2,500, so I've still got about 1,500 watch hours to go before a few more developer options open up with the, the YouTube studio and, and things sort of kick off. Yeah, exactly. Well, get on there, guys, because I do know from from stuff right now that I've been looking at, don't forget, which is where most people sort of forget. I've seen people just get chipped off right at the top. They get their 1,000 subscribers, but don't forget, since it's, um, I'm not sure if it's calendar year, I don't know what it is, but I'm, I know it's 4,000 watch hours in a calendar, I think it might be a calendar year. 365 days. Exactly. The previous 365 yep. days. So just remember, yeah, I've seen people get pipped at the post by like two or three hours of thing. They've got to start all over again to get three. So, guys, jump on his channel, RJM Hunting. Is that, RJM, I'm just on it now. Hang on, I've got to go. RJM Hunting Australia. Australia. Yeah, I'm just, I was just clicking on videos, went into the videos and didn't have your thing there. Um, yeah, RJM Hunting Australia. Guys, give him a subscribe. Um, we'll start watching his videos so the bastard can get to 4,000 watch hours he's got and what he got two one two 
two, three, four, five, six, twelve, about fourteen videos, guys. Some good thermal stuff there. He's got some goat stuff, bunny busting, foxes. He's got what's this one? Yeah, he's got some headshot stuff, which is good too, which is you know always fantastic. I like that stuff. Well, um, don't forget to say good day. Exactly. Let him know. Let him know if you're commenting in the comments. You heard him here on the Australian Hunting Podcast. So, you know, That'd get on great. there and binge watch some of his videos. I'm sure we can get enough people there to, uh, you know, jump on and uh, watch his videos and get him up to that 4,000 hours. So at least the, you know, he can get some, you know, monetization and get a few backs, a few sorry, a few backs, a few bucks uh, backed for making some of these videos, which would help him, you know, make more content, which is good. Yeah, mate. So, also, let me just go back. I've just flicked over to your YouTube channel. So, anyway, so what do you think some of the exciting parts about the YouTube channel? The exciting thing is it's available to everyone, which is what I like. And um, you're not just sort of pigeonholed into, you know, a group of people that have joined the group, a specific group. Um, it's there providing you put the, the sort of title and thumbnail that's going to be appealing. Um, you know, I've had comments from people all around the world, which is, it's really cool, and um, they get to see how things are done in Australia, and you know I get to hear feedback from from people over in countries I I will never go to more than likely, and some that I've never heard of. Yeah, man, it's you know one question I've got is about uh, I mean I, I just think Facebook's gone downhill a lot, eh? From you know just it was probably what it was for you know four to five years ago. I mean again I was finding Instagram a lot better. There's a yeah, a lot less negative Nancys on Instagram and other platforms. YouTube I guess to a certain degree can be sometimes hit and miss, but I mean I just find YouTube just really gone downhill. I'm like it's just like it's almost like the next Twitter at the moment where Twitter's just toxic crap. People just crapping on. You know YouTube seems to be the going going the same way. Everyone's just negative. I mean, you've had some... YouTube or Facebook? Sorry, sorry. Uh, Facebook, I should say. My apologies. Yeah, Facebook, no, I'm I find about. the same thing. There's a, there seems to be a lot of... And it's, I think it's a minority. Um, like, I've met some incredible people on Facebook and have developed some, some awesome relationships. Met Nathan on Facebook. There you go. I think I met yourself on Facebook. But, um, you know, it definitely has its pros. But the cons are there's a lot of knob jockeys on Facebook that just seem to troll and want to cause strife. Um, I've mm. had that in the... To me, Facebook's probably more of a business platform. Um, I had a lot of problems with the group where, you know, it was it was something that I developed and grown a following, and um, put a lot of hard work into, you know, managing a group when you're the only administrator. And um, you know, and then you get people that are coming on and just trying to push products. Oh yeah. You know, as far <laughs> as I'm concerned, it's it's not the right thing to do to ride on someone else's coattails, and I'm not there to make someone else money, especially when I'm not even making money out of it myself. Exactly. Yeah. But um. I think um, YouTube is a lot more subjective and, you know, I can just do my own thing on there. And uh, if people want to watch it, they can. If they don't, well, that's their choice as well. Yeah, exactly. We're going to talk about some contract suiting stuff, guys. We're just going to go to a break and we'll be right back. Do you need genuine reason? The National Shooting Council is the only true national political voice for shooters. And we offer genuine reason for hunting licences in Victoria, New South Wales, the ACT, and Queensland. And we are working on expanding genuine reason to other states over the next couple of years. Don't just join an organization to go shooting. Make your membership count. Get your genuine reason at nationalshooting.org.au. Also, what I wanted to talk about, Rod, is contract shooting. I've had a bunch of questions 
uh, over the years. I used to have it myself, but then, you know, doing this show and then, you know, things fall by the wayside, as we all know, as we get a bit older, you know, I can't even, you know, put my resources in so many places. Uh, so I guess how long have you been contract shooting and just tell us about that in general? Um, so pretty much for probably about three years now. Um, it wasn't a step I took lightly. Um, setting it up to try and um, earn some money, I suppose, and, and you know, pay for some of the gear that I was using and cover some of my time. I knew it was not going to be something that I'd make a living out of. I, I don't live in the right area for it. I think the guys that are making a, you know, doing it full time are out in those country areas and have access to copious amounts of land. The majority of guys are are either um, shooting for the chiller box, so they're harvesting. So that can entail anything, you know, quite often they, they shoot on most of their properties for free, but they take the animals that they shoot. So they have to have a chiller box within reasonable distance. They've got to have the, the animals there by sunup. They've got to have all the accreditations. And to be honest with you, it's bloody hard work. I just had three nights with a, a fellow that, that does it. Um, he's my age, and jeez, oh, you know, hats off to him. It's an extremely physical job, and um, you're handling animals two and three times to get them to the box, um, and they work hard and they make good money when the, the animals are abundant. But um, that's how the majority of pro shooters will work, uh, and then you get the the ones on the flip side that are out shooting for contract, and the majority of that work is government based or council base, so commercial work and um, you know it's a, a very involved tender process to get those contracts in and to tender for the, the jobs that, that come up on a irregular basis and then um, there's a lot of stringent guidelines that they've got to abide by. I pretty much with the contract shooting just do private work, um, do a little bit of commercial work locally for, for council and schools and stuff like that but Generally, it's out, you know, helping out the, the odd farmer and that have got problems with either deer or wild dogs or foxes or rabbits and stuff like that. You can definitely not charge anywhere near as much, you know, as an hourly rate or a contract basis doing private work. And that, you know, it helps pay the bills, um, pays for ammo and pays for some of the gear I play with and helps with the, the cost of running the vehicle. But um, fortunately, I've got a full-time job and I just use this to supplement the shooting side of things. A lot of people out there want to start, you know, it you know, seems to be the, the going thing at the moment, just like thermal. <laughs> but people want, yeah, the be- what's the best of advice, I guess, for someone wanting to start, you know, a contract shooting business? I mean, you know, people think it's all dandy and roses. You just start getting contracts and you're making all types of money, which, as you know, is not really a reality. So what's the stone cold, card, uh, you know, stone cold hard truth of, you know, people wanting to start a contract shooting business? Right, to be, to be honest, to, to start with, you've got to have the contacts. So you, you've got to have those potential properties in place or clients in place, place that are prepared to sign a contract with you, um, and that's just to get over the line to start with. You need to have um, ABN. You need to have a registered business name, uh, a letter from your accountant saying you're actually doing that type of work, which is sort of putting the cart before the horse, but um, that's what firearms want. Uh, you have to have multiple contracts in place saying that they're prepared to engage you as a contract shooter. Um, multiple references and and then you need to go through the application process which is quite involved. Um, and that's just to get your firearms license amended to, to 
your VPAC, your, your vertebral pest contract sheet. Um, yeah. Once that's all up and, and running, um, you know, people think, oh, I can be a contract shooter, I can apply for suppressors. Well, you know, you need to have certain criteria on your licence and then you have to have reasonable cause to have suppressors, so shooting in built-up areas and, and you know, it's, it's a long-winded process. I did a, a several-page letter and still had to wait uh, well over 12 months before any suppressor permits were approved. And then once you've got it all, you have to um, pretty much have ongoing work to be able to substantiate that you're actually doing it. Um, firearms don't want you know, just anyone being a contract shooter, so they can, you know, prior to the deer restrictions being lifted, you could be a contract shooter and, and go and shoot deer after dark from a vehicle out of season on private property that wasn't yours, providing you uh, paid for your harvester's licence and you did your quarterly returns. All those restrictions have been lifted now since the drought uh, in New South Wales. So that's no longer a requirement. A lot of people think that as soon as you get your contract shooters, you can get suppressors, and um, it's not that easy either. So I think there's a bit of a misconception there. But at the end of the day, um, if you can get hold of someone who does it, you know, go out and spend a couple of nights with them, volunteer to open gates and see what they do. It's, it's not as glossy as one would imagine. There's plenty of times where it's pissing down raining or, you know, Blowing like a bastard and freezing cold, and I don't feel like going out. But you know, part of my contract for a certain property is to do a certain amount of visits a month, and others is you know you get called when you're required when they're having a problem, and they would really want you to to drop things and get up there straight away. So it's all not um, you know it's all not roses, but mm. um, you know as long as you enjoy what you do, when it becomes a chore, is you know I think it's time that you should be looking at doing something else. What about, you know, and you talk about private, you know, versus the government stuff. I mean, people think they're going to, you know, go out there and either get government contracts. I mean, how does all that work? I mean, especially with private is obviously I would say the money is probably definitely going to be, you know, more so and coming from, you know, those government contracts. So, again, can you make money on the private stuff or you're really got to be looking for those government contracts? I, I don't, like, when you, when you say make money, it depends what your costs are. Like, you know, I run... $1,500 worth of insurance a year, which I have to have. You have to have your own public liability. Uh, and then you have to take into consideration that that doesn't cover any of your gear um, or yourself. So, you know, if you want to have wage protection or you want to have, you know, some sort of uh, insurance policy in case you fall in a wombat hole or roll your vehicle in a paddock or something like that, they're all things that you have to look at. Um I have double S double A insurance for my firearms, um, but I'm only covered for insurance on those when I'm actually rec shooting, um, not when I'm professional shooting. So there's, there's that sort of outlay, and then you've got your your licenses and your permits, and if you do go down the the avenue of suppressors, well, they're a very expensive addition, and um, and then you have to have a the safekeeping regulations are, are more stringent with that, so you've got to upgrade all your safes and then, you know, transportation and all that sort of stuff. So it can become quite involved. Um, but if you want to sit there, I know guys that are, are doing extremely well out of the contract shooting side of things um, for government and putting in for tenders and, and all that sort of stuff, whether it be for shooting pigeons to shooting deer on the escarpment at Illawarra or whatever it might be. There's um, lots of work out there, but um, it's a very, very involved tendering process. 
Um, I looked at the tender just recently and just the, um, the scope for the tender was 60 pages long and um, I was I was very bewildered. I thought, well, you know, these guys are spending more time on the keyboard than anywhere else and most of the time they're, they've got guys working for them that are actually out in the paddock uh, just too involved. So, you know, it is, it is a business and um, it's not contract shooting or, or being a paid shooter per se. Doing the private work is definitely more along the lines of that. Um, you know, I've developed the contract, which I get property owners to sign, and it, it just gives me authority to get onto their property, and I always like to have sole access when I'm uh, contracted to someone's property. I don't want anyone to turn around and, and turn up there and get other shooters in, and they might do the wrong thing, and then it can possibly give me a bad name. I'm very, very... Um, regimented on the way I, I treat properties and it's your reputation that sort of gets you across the line. You do the right thing and you get word of mouth referral and that sort of, I've got enough to keep me going. Um, sure, I'd love a lot more, you know, at 53. Or I'd like to throw the fire brigade in, and, you know, say by the time I'm 60 and spend 10 years just doing this full time, but who knows where it may lead. It's, um, mm. it's a bit of a fickle beast. Yeah, I know people think it's just, you know, very easy. I was going to start there, so I've got an idea, which, which you, obviously you can do that if you've got the you know required details, contracts, as you said. But I, don't, I think people think it's a lot easier than it actually is and how long it actually takes to build up clients and paying clients as well um, and that sort of thing. I think people don't realise what goes into it. No, no, definitely true. Um you know, you get a lot of a lot of people out there saying, you know, I can't get onto properties for free. You know, how could I possibly get on onto them and expect the, the property owner to pay me? The difference is that, you know, um, I suppose once you get out and prove your capabilities, that they um, you get some property owners that just won't let anyone on when they they see that you you do it professionally and you've been, you know, it's your business. You know, you take pride in what you do and. Um, you know, you don't, you're not out there. It's not a, a boys' night out or anything like that. You know, turning up with three or four guys and going gangbusters. It's, um, it's the little things that, that count and getting the results. So always communicating with the property owner. I like to take them around with me the first night, show them what I do and how I do it, show them the gear I use, make sure they're comfortable and, um, treat their property like it's your own. Pretty much the, the way you've got to go. And if you get referral work, well, that's just great. Yeah, exactly. How much does the suppressors, I mean, make a difference to your job? I mean, you know, it's crazy. You've got to have all these regulations and safes and, you know, in New Zealand you just go buy it off the shelf just like many other countries around the world. How much does it make a difference to your, to, to your work that you do? Um, I, I think it makes a huge difference. Um, I shot um, for the first part of um, my contract shooting without them, just using thermal. Thermal was a great addition. Um, it was chalk and cheese going from light to thermal. And then once I got permitted for suppressors, putting one of those on the front and combining that with thermal um, was just the discreetness of it, being able to keep things a little bit quieter. People seem to think that, you know, a silencer is going to make things silent like the movies. It's, it's definitely not the case. You can get it fairly quiet with a subsonic 22 or something like that. But um, realistically, if you're shooting supersonic, which I do a lot of the time, it just it's less obtrusive. The um, animals don't, livestock, shooting around livestock and cattle properties and dairies and uh, places that have got horses, uh, you can download a little bit if you need to. Um, it's almost like the animals don't know where the actual bang is coming from. So on the flip side, when you 
you're targeting game um, or ferals, they, you know, you might you know, might have a pair of foxes, for example, you'll shoot one, and the other one will stand there. It just doesn't know where, which direction to run in. They're disorientated by where the actual bang came from. So, obviously, the ability to get more animals on the ground is, um, you know, thus enabled by using suppressors. Also, the fact that it's much more pleasant to shoot. I don't shoot with any hearing protection at all, even with a 308. And um, less recoil, um, easier to keep the rifle on target uh, for follow-up shots. Um, you know, all in all, I, I think it's a, a godsend. And then when you're shooting subsonic, um, I run subsonic 223 and 308. And with the, the digital scopes these days, it's just a push of a button to be able to change from a supersonic to a subsonic load. And I can, you know, be working around very close quarters with cattle and I can have a fox come in amongst those cattle. I can throw a subsonic in, push a button, shoot the fox at 50 metres. And the cattle don't even lift their heads up. And the fox that's at 150 doesn't know what I've done. So I can then go to supersonic and mm. change the profile on the scope and, and then shoot that fox. Yeah, so very advantageous. The 308 subsonic's the same on pigs. You get up to a mob of pigs, you can always take out you know, maybe the lead sow or something like that with a subsonic and the rest just sort of maybe lift their heads up and go, you know, what the hell was that? And it gives you the opportunity to, to take another shot before they start running. I so, mean, even though they don't kick too much anyway, like 223 and 308's probably not too bad as well with the subsonic, but, you know, how, how do you find the recall? I mean, obviously, you know, we got, you know, sound, re- reducing sound, but also what about, you know, re- some recoil def- benefits definitely too. definitely reduce recoil, definitely. Um, my 308 kicks like a 308, running um, supersonic ammo, just factory ammo, um, with a suppressor on it is like shooting a two two three same recoil as a two two three with no suppressor. Yeah. Um, it's much more pleasant to shoot. And um, I suppose the hardest thing in this country is, is getting hold of suppressors and, and you know, well made stuff. There's only a few places that make them. We don't have a, a huge selection. Um, it's not like they're a, a really hot off the shelf item. Uh, compared to other countries that put millions and millions and millions of dollars into research and development. Um, you know, I think what the guys are doing in this country is, is really good. Not that I'd, you know, we can't import, even if you've got a permit, you can't import a suppressor from New Zealand. You know, it'd be lovely to go over there and see how they compare. But um, no, I love what we've we've got here and what we're able to use. And, you know, I feel very fortunate that I can, you know, I'm permitted to use them. Yeah, it's crazy how you can't, I mean, you know, import them from New Zealand. One probably be a lot cheaper. I mean, it was want to support Australian, but I've seen some of the prices on the Australian stuff and it's just it's just absolutely crazy. I mean... Yeah, well, you'd be looking at anywhere from $600 to $1,800 for a suppressor in Australia, depending yeah. on the calibre and, um, and, you know, the materials it's made of. But then you've got to have, you know, you've got to have your suppressor permit no matter what state you buy it from. It's got to be lodged with firearms. Um, it can only be on that one nominated rifle that you've stipulated for that permit. Um, in some states, um, you can only shoot it on the particular property that the permit states. You know, fortunately in New South Wales, as a pro shooter, once I have it, you know, I can use it on multiple properties. But uh, the guidelines are different everywhere around uh, around the country. And um, yeah, it's just what we've got to deal with. Hopefully, one day there'll be a bit of common sense come into the equation and you know they'll be more readily available 
Yeah, true. We're just going to go a quick break, guys. We'll be right back. Being a member of an authorised and approved hunting organisation allows you to have both a genuine reason for owning a firearm and an opportunity to secure a New South Wales R licence for hunting in New South Wales state forests. The Australian Conservation Hunting Council is a genuine reason for owning a firearm and an approved hunting organisation for owning an R licence. You can find out more at www.achc.com.au. The Australian Conservation Hunting Council. Mate, I just want to talk about thermals. You know, that seems to be, it's all picking up everywhere. You know, Nathan <laughs> uses them. Everyone's bloody using them. They love the night stuff. It gives you a good, uh, you know, especially, I say great video, to be brutally honest, because, uh, you know, it's just great using them at night. It gives you, I guess, that element of surprise. I mean, it's dark. You can see them. They can't see you unless they smell you, obviously. And it's great sort of footage when you watch the videos as well. You know, I mean, what do you have? What do you enjoy shooting? What has it added to your arsenal, especially when, you know, you add the suppressors with the contract shooting? You know, how's it changed the, the ball game of sort of, you know, for feral pest control? I know some people probably get the shits, but they go, oh, you know, that's not hunting, blah, blah, blah. Those people need to shut up and just, uh, you know, there's different types of hunting. <laughs> there's different types of contract work. Some people do feral control. It is what it is. But, yeah, what's your experience on it? Oh, mate, like, I, I hear you, and, and that's the, the biggest problem with it at the moment, um, especially for the people that don't have it, is that it's, it's not hunting. What I, I don't classify what I, you know, do of a night as hunting. I classify it as, as pest management, and that's exactly what it is. Um, you know, we could not embrace technology. We could be out there throwing rocks at animals, but, you know, God forbid we've seen the light and... Um, you know, this technology is available and it is game-changing uh, for for many aspects. I um, More than anything, it's, it's enabled me to learn animal behaviour. Um, I think that's the, the key to thermal, is that you can sit up there and you can watch and watch and watch and be patient and the animals don't see you. Um, you're watching them in their, their native environment and... Um, you know, learning what they do and why they do it and when they do it has enabled me to definitely understand my quarry and put a lot more animals on the ground, um, the stealthiness of the gear. And the biggest thing is, is knowing what you're using and knowing its limitations. There's um, so much out there now. Um, back when I started, there was very, very, very little to choose from. And um, now there's so many brands and so many... You know, price points, uh, this entry-level stuff that you can get into some form of thermal for around about 1200 bucks, I think, now. And um, or you can spend, you know, anything up to, I think, some of the really top-end stuff available in Australia are $14,000, $15,000. Wow, But yeah. um, for civilian use, that is. And, you know, you really do get what you pay for with thermal. And that's the, the hardest thing to explain for anyone who's looking at venturing into it. I would just strongly suggest that you get hold of, you know, get on the Facebook, get on YouTube, contact people, find out if anyone locally has any thermal gear. Um, I found that nearly all the blokes that I've ever spoken to and girls um, that have thermal are more than happy to, you know, show someone that lives locally. And, you know, even if it be off their back veranda or at a neutral meeting point and, you know, looking through a, a handheld and, this exactly what you expect to see through the image. Um, I think that's really important. The biggest concern for me when it comes to thermal is identification. Um, I've have, you know, I hate to think of how many thousands of hours I have using thermal behind me, but and I use the, the best gear that I can 
that I can buy. And there are still times where I'll have an animal at 50 or 80 or 100 metres and have absolutely no idea what it is. And you've just got to wait. You've got to be patient. And that's the key with thermal is, is being patient, making sure that you can identify 100% before you even consider putting your finger on that trigger. Um, I'm running Pulsar gear at the moment. Um, I run a, a Pulsar Trail 2 with a laser rangefinder built in. And um, the main reason I'm running that is because I need a laser rangefinder on my scope. Uh, it'd be nice to have one on the handheld as well, but um, especially doing the subsonic work. And also with thermal, it's very hard to, to gauge distance of a night, even if you know the property fairly well. You might have a fox at 200 metres that you know that you can hold point blank on. Um, but if that fox is at 250, you're going to drop drop short and not hit it. So knowing distance is pretty important, especially when you're running subsonic stuff. So the laser rangefinder on the, the rifle scope is a big advantage for me. I couldn't be without it. Um, I've just uh, upgraded to uh, a Helion Pro uh, with regards to the handheld. And for all those out there that are, are thinking of dipping their toe in the water, most people usually go for handheld first. Um, there's lots of different models out on the market. Um, what it really boils down to is how much you want to spend, what sort of features you want it to have, and what base magnification you want that lens. Keeping in mind that you know all your your magnification on top of that base mag is digital, and as soon as you zoom once, um, which doubles the base magnification, you're using losing 50% of the clarity of the image. So, keeping that in mind, it's um, most people usually go out and get a handheld first and say I'm going to shoot with a torch or shoot with um, a spotlight or infrared, but they quickly realise that the benefits of using thermal, they can quite, well, 99.9% of the time they can see what they're looking at through their handheld but can't through their scope. So quite often you'll find that they end up trying to find some money very quickly to get a thermal scope <laughs> as well. Man, I'm just looking at some um, of the prices here, and yeah, I mean, yeah, the sky is the limit, guys. The sky is the limit. It is, but um, it's pretty much buy once, cry once. Um, Get your hands on some gear. Go out and have a look through it. Um, Do your research on, um, you know, what base magnification you want, what features you want on the unit, and then, you know, talk to people like myself, Nathan, guys that have been doing it for quite some time, and, um, you know, and... Quite a few of the shops, uh, not all the shops, unfortunately. Uh, a majority of them have never, ever used thermal. Um, the guy walking in there to ask about it probably knows more about thermal than a lot of the guys behind the counter. They've got thousands of different items in the shop. They can't know them all, and they are a bit of a, a high-end item. So, you know, get on Facebook, get on the pages, have a talk to people, and, um, yeah, once you go thermal, you won't go back, though. Yeah, no, it definitely looks exciting. I mean, except when you see the pricing, that's <laughs> that's not the exciting part. Hey, I wonder. No, what, well, they are coming down. Like you know, um, for something that you know, I've I've got a mate who's got the same original thermal scope that I I started out with, and um, you know, it was eight thousand nine hundred ninety-five dollars. And you look through it now, and it's like using an old Nokia brick phone in comparison to the technology that's out there now. They're much smaller. They're you know, down around the five, six thousand dollars, um, instead of up around the, the nine, ten thousand dollars. And the the image quality is improving all the time. There's more features. There's can Wi Fi like we had a little unit out just recently I was doing some testing on from a company called Hick Micro. 
and um, just a prototype, but you know, it needs some work on some different things. But you know, one of the features was Wi-Fiing it, and we had two screens. We had a had it Wi-Fiing to my phone and Wi-Fiing to a tablet in a vehicle, and I'm standing on the back of the truck, and we're both watching what's going on through this device. And crystal clear image, we're looking at deer at 400 metres away, and the deer had no idea, and it was it was just amazing. So. Technology's come a long way, but at the end of the day, all I can say is once you've got a thermal scope on your rifle, be patient, identify 100%. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, when you talk about technology? I mean, I wonder what the lifespan, I mean, even today, you know, I mean, being an electronic product, for an example, you know, I mean, I wonder what the lifespan is of them today with technology moving so quickly. Yeah, if you buy a, a five, nine or $10,000 one or 8000 in, in that similar, you know, you're buying something top end. I mean, how long do you think can someone get out of that? Could that, I mean, either before the, ele- the electronics die in it, for an example, or, you know, before technology moves and advances forward? I mean, what, what do you think the sort of lifespan on them is these days? Well, technology-wise... Unfortunately, the way the manufacturers are going at the moment, technology-wise, it's about 12 months. I really feel sorry for guys that are, you know, I've, we're always told when we bought cars, never buy the Series 1. Um, I've always bought the Series 1. As soon as they come out, you know, if, if I could, in a position to upgrade, I'll upgrade to that new model. Um, sometimes they have the hiccups, which are usually fixed up by firmware upgrades. But um, before you know it, um, there's another model that's come out, which has got more bells and whistles. And it's like, oh, if I, you know, for those guys that have waited a little while, you know, they might be eight months after a product release. They've got something, by the time they order it and they've got it in their hands, there's a bit of a delay on some of the brands of thermal, especially Pulsar. Um, supply is, is, you know, demand is, is dramatically outweighing supply. And um, you know, guys might be waiting two, three, four, five months for a, for a unit, and by the time they get it, there's a new model out. So it can be very frustrating. Lifespan-wise, for the actual unit itself, I have um, I've used stuff that's always had external batteries, so you know, not an actual built-in, fused-in battery that you've got to actually charge the device. Yeah. Um, I've had the odd battery clag out, but my last. Um, Helion. Um, I pretty much ran it four nights a week for three years, um, then sold it. Never, ever, ever missed a beat once. And um, I know the guy that's got it, he's had it for the last 12 months, hasn't had any issues. Longevity, I don't know. Um, the other thing is 90% of them come with a three-year warranty now, which is really important. Um, if you're not getting three-year warranty, I wouldn't be spending your money. Hey, that's one and, thing I, I, I don't like about technology going these days is these, you know, like phones and that, right? I used to love when they had the, the, the you know, you take the batteries out. If you're you know, halfway through six months, you just buy a new battery. You know, the phone would be good to go. I don't like these internal batteries where it's all just throwaway shit these days. You know what I mean? I want to be able to well, replace that's, that's batteries. And, and, and look at the fine print, you know, look at the fine print on the, on the user manual or on, on their website and just find out, you know, you might have a three-year warranty on the actual unit, but what is the... If it has a built-in battery, what's the warranty on the battery? Um, just make sure that you've got that full three years. And then what you need to look at is you know, maybe contacting the manufacturer and saying, look, is it possible to get a new battery if this battery becomes tired? Um, you know, where does it have to go? Can that be done in Australia or has it got to be done overseas? Am I going to be without the unit for three months? Yeah. Um, or I have an option for... Going to be- 
have an option for you, you know, us to be able to change the battery, the buy it, plug it in, or run, it runs on external batteries. Yeah, that might be if you if you could buy, you know, runs on a basic battery that you can get anywhere. That's what we people have got to start, you know, thing not having to send it back to manufacturers and spending a fortune True. to well, get them replaced. And pretty it's just much some, silly. some of the units are coming out with rechargeable CR123s and rechargeable eighteen six fifties. Perfect. Um, yeah. I yeah. think the eighteen six fifties are much better option than the CR123s, but. Um, you know, all the Pulsar gear have their own specific type of battery, um, but the, the good thing is that um, they're all external batteries on the majority of their stuff. Um, you know, it's on good. the stuff that has an internal house battery, you know, they're all IPX7 um, or IPX67 waterproof, so there's no way in the world a civilian's going to be able to pull them apart. You're going to, you know, bugger up the seal. So it's something that's going to have to go back to the manufacturer, but it's just something to keep in mind. Exactly. Um, Longevity-wise, I don't know what will happen after your three-year warranty if you have an issue with it, if you get a broken shutter or, you know, a component inside, you know, whether it's just going to become a paperweight or whether or not they can be fixed. Unfortunately, all this new year hasn't been around long enough, you know, to know what the longevity is. My mate's scope's seven years old, um, no problems at all with it. Um, you know, is, is this new year going to be the same? Only time will tell. Mm, exactly. Yeah, you're right, man. Mate, tell us a story to finish off. Tell you a story to finish off. Yeah, um, some maybe hunting, contract shoot, could be, you know, the time you you know drove away in the car park and your family couldn't find you. <laughs> Any, oh, anything well, you want, man, no, anything, mate, you want, anything you to want. To be honest with you, the, the <laughs> ones that have got the negative parts about them are probably the ones you remember the most. Um, <laughs> I, I right. have driven eight hours away. Only to realise I'd left my thermal handheld at home and had oh. to get the wife to express post it down. No. Um, so there was there was that one. So I was told that I was getting <laughs> old and maybe had a bit of a uh, a memory issue. We've all done that. But um, I um, mate, as as I said earlier on in the piece, I love shooting pigs. We went away with um, some fellas up to Queensland. Um, it was uh, Mr. Nathan Stewart himself. Hollywood, as we call him. The, KF, the KFC eater. The KF, oh, I can't knock that. I do love my KFC. <laughs> I I'm made a few memes about him, him a couple of weeks, about a week ago, man. He couldn't. Oh, it was hilarious. You know, every time I yeah. see him, he's always eating the bird in his videos. And people are like, what? Yeah. And people are sitting there in the videos going, oh, what's this joke about? And I go, well, obviously, you don't watch the guy too often because he's bloody always eating KFC in his videos. But he's, you not, know? he's not, he's not fair to him. He's a bit of a snag. He's having those twisters. He's yeah, not having like a 10-pack of exactly, Dirty Bird exactly. that you just eat cold in the paddock. He's there with his little fancy posh twister and, yeah. you know, his cold floor and stuff. Yeah. So he's, he's got to get a bit bit more fed income and maybe even grow a mo because he's been giving me heaps of crap about mine. Yeah, the colonel but, would not um, be happy just purchasing a twister, you know. He wants to see the you know, 10-pack, of, 10-pack of Wicked Wings or, you know, some... Oh, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. 100%. No, but I had a trip up away with them um, and a couple of other guys that I'd met on Facebook and uh, two Nathans, actually. Uh, the other Nathan, wonderful fella, um, absolute laugh a minute. He invited us up to a property out um, out near Tara in Queensland and um, we went up there just before COVID lockdown um, chasing pigs. And he said, my goal for you fellas is to get you on a huge mob of pigs just like you see all the Yanks do. And you, you get three or four shooters out there on tripods and the, the pigs are out on the, the stubble and we go, you know, three, two, one, and we all just start blazing away. He said, I just want to do that once. 
Anyhow, I think it got to night three or four, and we'd had torrential rain. It was horrible conditions. We'd seen a few pigs, but not many. And anyhow, the opportunity came up, and here's this mob of about 20 pigs. We stalked into about 50 metres, and um, we all had in, internal um, earpieces in with our, our radio comms, so we're all talking to each other, whispering like, uh, we, like a pack of little girls we were. Giggling and carrying on, and um, three, two, one, and all hell breaks loose. We had pigs running at us, running in between us, and I was that excited. You think that after 10,000 rounds in my Seiko, I would know how to use it by now? <laughs> well, I short, short cycled and got a jam. So I fired one shot, and the boys did the rest. And at the end, they're all patting each other on the back. How'd you go, Rod? And yeah. Let's just say I didn't talk very much. <laughs> uh, so it was a long way to go to have a have a gun jam, and um, all, all through excitement. So doesn't matter how many rounds you shoot, you can still get excited and bugger things up. Yeah, that's right, man. Hey, especially when you're on the you know all different game and pigs and that, man. I've they just send you crazy sometimes, don't they? Oh, dude, I was, it was yeah, but it was a fantastic time. Good to catch up with mates, and um, we got plenty of stories to tell. That and shooting. In the wet time, shooting mice off the tripod in the shearing shed at two metres with an air rifle. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's always fun and games. And, you know, they're the things you remember the most. It certainly is. So, guys, we're going to get um, Rod over the – he's already got the subscribers. So, well, you should subscribe anyway to his channel, let's be honest here. Right, you've got to get him over the 4,000 hours, let's hope. I mean, at least give him something. Jump on his channel, subscribe, you know, jump on his content, have a look at it. Mate, where do they go to find you again on uh, YouTube? On RJM Hunting Australia. Yep. If you comment on any any of the videos, just say good day. Yeah, and let him know you heard him here on the podcast, yeah, which will probably come podcast. out. What are That'd we recording? What are we recording this on the twenty sixth of um, October? October is it? Yeah, October. So, you know, this will come out probably very early November, guys. So, you know, jump on there. Let him know you heard him here. What, you know, get his watch hours up. He wants to. You know, fair enough, man. You make videos. You put the hard effort. I know the effort that a lot of people put in. Uh, to making videos and 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 you know just just what goes into it the 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 cameras oh, the mate, editing and let me know time. what you want to see exactly let him know what he wants to see so anyway um Rod, it was great having you on the show. Uh, I really appreciate it. Talking about all things because I get a lot of questions about contract shooting, um, you know, thermals and, and what to expect and pricing. I mean, I just I don't know anything about it, so I just send them on to other people, um, you know. But, you know, join their Patreons. Help them out. Watch their videos. You know, they're trying to make a few bucks out of this. It, you know, if you guys enjoy it, well, they need to be able to keep doing it because the inevitability is like this show, like many shows out there that have either still going or have come and gone. It's because, you know, there's not much support, unfortunately, for you know, YouTubers and podcasters and things like that. So they need, you know, the support of individuals to keep their stuff going because you guys enjoy the content, you know, like what Rodney does, what Nathan does, what I do, a lot of the other guys that put their hard work and time into, you know, podcasts and videos for for our enjoyment. So, uh, Rodney, thanks for coming on the show, mate. I really appreciate it. No, my pleasure, mate. Thank you for the invite. You've been listening to an episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.